Welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Eric Demers, CEO at Madikit Health. Eric, welcome to the show. Great to be on the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. So, Eric, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of the conversation is give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So, Eric, the floor is yours. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, I've been in the healthcare space my entire career. Um, really been passionate, focused on the things we do in this space. I've been fortunate to have worked in a lot of different facets of healthcare from um, you know, working more in the in the provider-based organizations on the front lines, uh, working inside the insurance companies, working in finance, working in technology, working with regulatory, working with multiple countries. So I think I've really had a, quite of a, a flavor of different healthcare experiences, we'll say it that way, throughout my career. Um, I've really honed in on, you know, the intersection of technology um, and how it can play a role in healthcare in the last, you know, decade plus. And that's really been a passion of mine and trying to figure out how I can leverage um, that knowledge and those experiences to you know, make a difference somewhere along the way here in healthcare. So when I think about healthcare, it's about what can I do to help improve, you know, an area of healthcare uh, moving forward. So you said you've been in healthcare your whole career. So was it uh, an intentional move into healthcare right from the start or what, what brought you into the industry? It was an intentional move. Um, when I was in college back in the day, I actually thought I was going to go to med school. Um, organic chemistry ended those hopes and dreams. And I decided to refocus my attention on the business side of, of healthcare. Um, at the time, actually, I didn't know what that direction was going to be. I uh, I actually did a, in, in grad, I'm sorry, in college, I did a, a program around healthcare law and ended up getting a, it was like a minor uh, uh, program. And that really fascinated me. And that kind of led me more down the business side. And then I ended up going to graduate school at George Washington University I mean, for their master's of healthcare administration program. So, you know, when I'm going into that, you know, uh, approach, you know, back then it was kind of like you know, really two or three tracks. Either you went into the hospital side, you went into the insurance side, or you did other. And um, I kind of did all three at some point in my career. Yeah, so as you said, you've been through and worked in kind of, it sounds like, all sides of the industry and more of a technology focus recently. So, you know, kind of what drove you to technology and, you know, is there a particular area within the industry that you are focused on primarily right now? Yeah, so I I originally was much more on the financial side of healthcare, helping organizations, um, you know, manage their their overall revenue, their reimbursement, and all those related items uh, through organizations on both sides, both on the insurance side and on the provider side, uh, which then led me more into you know revenue cycle um, solutions and helping you know organize and implement those uh, a long time ago. Which then led me went to more broader technology um, types of organizations, and then from there I went in a bunch of different avenues on the technology side from you know, interoperability in, um, in that space, care management. Um, and then now I'm really focused on the provider data management space. Um, so really focused on how can we leverage technology to uh, remove some of the administrative burden that goes on between the provider-based organizations and the payers 
that they must, you know, um, exchange information and data in order to really be in business together in order to ultimately serve their members slash patients. So talking about that coordination between uh, providers and payers, what are some of some examples of what that data exchange looks like? Sure. You know, there's a number of requirements um, in order for them, for both providers and payers to decide they want to work together to serve, a, you know, the local community. Um, it starts early, you know, from making sure that the providers are licensed and credentialed in order to be uh, able to serve the patients that they're going to be asked to serve in that particular region. And then, you know, that's like really step one. Uh, step, there are more um, additional steps that we say that can cause challenges for on an ongoing basis for providers and payers is more or less enrolling them in the various plans that are being offered by the insurance companies. Are they in network for which ones? Uh, making sure that they are sending the information about their providers themselves uh, and within every 90 days in order to make sure that the directories on the payer side are up to date in order to you know, provide sufficient coverage for their members when they're looking for a physician. Uh, there's nothing more frustrating than searching for a physician and on your insurance website uh, and either not finding the one you're looking for or it says they're taking, accepting new patients, but they're really not. They say they're in a certain location, but they really have changed and they're just not always in sync. So helping them um, be more in sync is a big piece of the puzzle. And kind of focusing it on provider directories, you know, as you said, there can be a lot of frustration around it. Yes. So from your perspective, why do you think historically there has been so much disconnect in terms of the accuracy? Uh, it boils down to focus, really. I think, you know, if we think back the last 10 to 15 years in healthcare, we were, uh, as a as a country in, in the healthcare system, we were intently focused on putting in technology solutions that were very focused on patient care, supporting the patient care journey you know, whether it be the electronic medical records and beyond, right, and then moving into more risk-based and, and care management, all kinds of stuff in order to help, you know, improve that piece of the healthcare system. Uh, revenue cycle solutions had been, you know, um, touched along the way, but maybe not at the same speed. And I feel like we're starting to come back around now as to really a focus in the industry. But an area that was kind of just, you know, ultimately not really touched was more of that administrative flow of information request from a provider to a payer and back. And it can't, it has continuously followed more of a manual rudimentary way of exchanging information from literally mail, uh, fax, um, sending, you know, spreadsheets or emails. Uh, it could be, it could be a portal entry. Um, so the challenge that you have here is that there was never really a mechanism established in many, many solutions in order to enable that data flow from one side to another. So you know, we work with payers as well. And you know, what me, an example of a payer would say we will get you know information on you know 20,000 doctors um, sent to us on a regular basis, and it comes in in probably hundreds of different formats in order to try to get that information into a single usable set of information and then take the information that's been up needs to be updated out of that and apply that to our own directories takes a lot of time. Um, so it makes it nearly impossible to do it on an effective and efficiently uh, going forward. So part of what we're trying to do is we do a lot of work historically between providers and payers to enroll them and, and help remove some of that um, required manual labor that goes on to apply 
by automating that in our system. So this is really another step in order to add another rail, so to speak, where the providers can send their information electronically over to payers, and then they can share information back and forth, which will allow them to maintain their directories on the payer side in a much more up-to-date fashion, and which then allows them to be compliant with all the many other regulations that are um, they need to be beholden to. It's a, I guess it's a fair to say, it sounds like it's yet another example of the lack of um, data consistency and uh, collaboration that seems reflective of so many different pieces uh, or components of the industry. Yeah, unfortunately, it's true. Um, you know, it's a very siloed still, you know, part of the industry, lack of standards, lack of automation. Um, so you end up with just a lot of paper and a lot of discrete information all over the place. Um, one of the things I liked about our company and where we're positioned there is that, you know, over time, because the work we've done working between, you know, as an exchange kind of platform between providers and payers and, and uh, in fiscal intermediaries and whatnot, is we've touched roughly 80% of all the provider groups in the United States. So we have a, a large amount of data that we can then help support the process. Uh, and we, we've kind of established standards around it. So it allows us to potentially help both sides, you know, take a step forward at a much uh, more rapid pace than they've been able to do on their own. Yeah, and kind of as you just mentioned, developing standards helps probably with that interchange of data. Um, but at the same time, it also sounds like just giving a directory and the information required for it more time and attention overall, as opposed to just kind of letting it slip probably to the last second when you needed to, or when you're thinking, finally thinking about updating it, or potentially when you hear a complaint of why, why is this never working the way it should, you know, just kind of moving it a little bit up the priority list can also make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there wasn't as much focus, I think, historically on, you know, that attention to detail that's needed to maintain that directory. And then, you know, CMS introduced the No Surprises Act uh, last year. And when that was implemented, both on the provider and payer side, that has a, a significant amount of momentum to them wanting to and needing to maintain those directories because it now has, it plays an important role in what needs to happen for them to be compliant, particularly on the payer side. Um, going forward uh, to meet the No Surprises Act requirements there. If you don't mind, can you go into a little bit more detail on that front? Because I feel like when people hear the No Surprises Act, they immediately think of the payment issues. Yeah, they think of the No Surprise Billing piece and, and no longer receiving surprise bills in the mail, um, <clears throat> which is an important part of the legislation, obviously. But there was other factors introduced through that uh, legislation. Um, uh, a couple in particular that providers are, uh, who work with CMS-based plans are required to send an update of their roster every 90 days. And then any material changes to their information, could be a phone number, address, could be anything, um, is required to be updated in the payers' directories within 48 hours of being received. Now, um, when I relate earlier how information is often sent from one provider's to payers, and how long it takes them to disseminate and organize the information being able to you know do that and make that forty-eight hour window is nearly impossible. Um, for many, it's probably months before they would get to updating those information uh, retrospectively. Um, <clears throat> so that was one piece. The other piece was that as a member or consumer of insurance, uh, you are now 
Um, if you were to call your insurance company and ask for what the cost is for a procedure or service at uh, various locations within your community, um, maybe within your network, et cetera, they are required to tell you with certainty what that cost would be. So you would have no surprises um, when you receive what the payment should be. The challenge there is that they rely on um, you know, provider information of who you're going to see, how they in-network, how they are network what the locations are, what the costs are, which plans they are part of. And what they have shown is that historically the payer provider directories um, are, you know, have a lot of inaccurate data in it, whether it be redundant data, um, location information is nearly 50, wrong 50% of the time. We've seen a lot of studies on that. Um, there was um, a few months ago, there was uh, um, some information published on, you know, by the finance committee, congressional finance committee on ghost networks, where they tried to call like 120 providers and 80% of them failed. Uh, either they they weren't there, uh, it was a wrong number, or they weren't accepting new patients, but they said they were. And there's just all these factors that one directory said you're good to go, and the other one, and when they actually enacted on it, it wasn't factual. So helping keep that information is now much more important because payers are required to um, comply with no surprises uh, regulatory uh, factors. Uh, they haven't imposed penalties yet. They delayed those in 2023, um, but there is a, a fair likelihood that in 2024 they'll be put in place. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point where, you know, when you don't have penalties or enforcement actions, maybe the attention to compliance isn't where you would necessarily hope it would be at the start. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Eric Demers of Madigan Health, and we've been talking about prior directories and interactions of data between payers and providers. And Eric, kind of picking up on that last piece around the No Surprises Act and, you know, the importance for payers to know the accuracy of the directory to help with quoting prices. Um, you know, and then also you're, you're pointing out that enforcement and penalties are delayed. You know, where have you seen the state of compliance overall? You know, are people moving in the direction of having um, information updated appropriately or are efforts maybe not going quite as quickly as would be desired? So I would say it depends on which side of the pendulum. So the payers definitely made a, a, a large, um, we'll say, time investment to meet the original um, date expectation in 2022. So by X date, you had to be you know, able to offer this or be compliant with it. Um, most of them did it, I would say, in a way that it was very manual in order to pull it together not sustainable, not scalable, not automated from a, from a directory maintenance perspective. So many of them now are looking to uh, either solve internally or looking to the industry, other solutions out there that might be able to support the information that they need. On the provider side, um, not a whole lot has changed in terms of how they want to or do send information updates over to payers. Um, providers do not want to uh, have to engage in another yet another payer portal. We'll say it that way, because on average, a provider works with 20 and 25 different insurance companies. So doing everything over and over 20 and 25 times is a challenge for them. So the most easy way to send information is usually the way it's sent, whether that's a report or an email or something else to a uh, payer. So, you know, we think this is where the opportunities 
probably it's probably lies to, to help both move forward a bit because you know there's opportunity to you know on the provider side to use you know tools like ours um, and there's others out there i'm sure uh, where you can enter information maintain your provider directory there and then um, automatically upload that to our various payers upon the time that's required to be sent and then the payer side be able to you know interact with those vendors and, and exchange data uh, also they look to industry for third-party data sets in order to maybe fill in some of the gaps verify the data they have look for redundancies etc so there's a few different ways and then we're starting to see uh, both especially on the payer side engage much more um, at a higher level of of action, we'll say it that way, to move some of these things forward in 23 and 24. Yeah, and I think to the point you just made, it seems like, um, you know, as you implied, instead of having a multitude of different portals or means of interaction, you know, potentially having one um, intermediary where both sides can approach it and be able to, put, you know, enter and pull the data makes the most sense because then it creates efficiency. And, you know, it also seems like it goes to your earlier point of removing variations of how the data are presented, because if everyone's going to one place to, as I said, put it in and take it out, theoretically, you're going to be driving to common formats and common interactions. hundred percent. You, I think you probably the most common um, reference of, of another model um, is the common application for college. Uh, you know, the college application process moved in that direction where many would use the common app and a lot of the different colleges would participate in uh, receiving their information updates and exchanges through the common app. Really what our approach is very similar. You know, we've been working um, across multitude of those Administrative things that happen to happen between that have to occur between payers and providers, you know, whether it be enrollment for um, providers with the plans, whether it be EDI enrollment transactions for ERAFT, whether it be just a whole bunch of things, and then now you under that you have a you have the provider uh, roster and directory information supporting all of that for that particular group. Say we work with twenty different plans, their information is stored there now. The system can automatically generate what's required and send it out when using the rules according to various plans that data is needed. Uh, it's very similar from that perspective, being a common application for college, the student puts their information and all their grades and everything into one spot, and then they choose which colleges they want to apply to, uh, hook it, link it into their common app, and then they just send everything back and forth without having to upload it over and over and over again. So that removing that burden, that stress, is really the, the approach we've taken there. And I think a way one allows that exchange to be very effective in the payer provider community. Yeah, that seems like a very good comparison because you know, arguably people should be able to grasp it and understand it pretty quickly because you know, I think as you're saying, it's an experience that a lot of people either have had directly or potentially through children. Yes. Um, you know, because I think about it and I, I could have done the common application, but it was pa still paper-based at that point. Uh, so yeah. maybe not quite the ease of data exchange, but at least the uh, consistent data format. So my, I have a couple of children. My daughter's just graduated from college, from high school and she's going to college. So we literally just went through this process this past year. Um, and she used a common application to apply to 16 universities. <laughs> and it was... Uh, very helpful and made the process and and the uh, the application process very simple, candidly. Yeah, 
So I kind of want to turn back to you know, a point that you made towards the beginning and then also that you just kind of referenced as well around provider enrollment and credentialing. Yes. Could you be able to describe that process a little bit? Because it's, you know, to me, that's been always been one of the kind of black box areas yeah. of the industry where it's, you know, you're always told that it'll take up to 90 days and you always question, why does it take so long? If, especially if you're just switching employers and you're already enrolled with that insurer. Yeah. And that, and, and I would say in the last couple of years, 90 days would be a blessing for many of them because in some cases it's been between six and nine months to get through the process. Right. Um, so the credentialing side, you know, it's a, it's really more of a, it's a multi, multi-step process where they have to go out and validate uh, everything about you um, as a physician in order to uh, ensure that you are eligible to serve your patients in the way you are. So there's a lot of checks, background checks, credit checks, you know, history checks, um, you know, school, medical, graduations, you know, all that stuff, all to make sure the things that you are say that are you um, are factual and then that gets vetted by um, the different payers that you are going to work with. Also will get vetted by the hospitals you're going to work in. Um, it's, I guess, it's another step to have to, you know, recheck that on a regular basis. And same thing with medical licensing, you know, each state is required. If you're going to practice in that state, you have to be licensed in that state. So that's, I guess, it's a process, an application process. Um, many times those processes don't have to be done that often, you know, you know, credentialing probably every three to five years or recredentialing. It's not, it's not an every year, um, requirement. But it's still one that has to happen. And when you move to a new plan, they want to see the information and make sure that you are, you say everything is valid and meets their standards. So that's one piece. I think that's, you know, our, our platform supports that process. And we, we, work, we work with some partners who plug in uh, and take off some, take on some of that responsibility as well in support of our clients. But then the next step would be once we, you know, you now you establish that you are licensed and credentialed to to do to work, um, you have to enroll with the various payers in order to be in business with them. So that's a whole nother step, right? So that also takes a lot of time, multiple months. And it takes multiple months because of the process, the way it was set up, is we'll call it a little more old-fashioned in many ways. Um, if you were to apply through a portal, it goes in, it gets received, and it goes into the queue, and then no one might even look at it for three to four weeks. Uh, by the time they do uh, on the payer side review the information, they may find that some information is missing or something was sent uh, erroneously or the attachment might be wrong. Um, and then they basically send it all back and say, here's this is missing or wrong, please redo. And you end up in this cycle that goes round and round sometimes of this back and forth. And that usually and many times when they send the information back, you're basically starting over on the process. So it then leads to a layer, it can be it leads to a very lengthy uh, process. Um, so those in that part in particular is a challenge for a lot of organizations who aren't used to engaging um, with that information on the various payers, or they have a lot of physicians on staff and they have to continuously update information. Uh, and then and there's another piece that is probably less talked about. And this is because we work with a lot of uh, uh, claims processing vendors is that you know they want to make sure that those provider organizations are enrolled to receive uh, electronic um, data interactions, right? So EDI um, electronically show for uh, payments, um, EFTs and remittance devices, et cetera. 
make sure you can uh, enable that from an electronic perspective. So every pay, every insurance company then has to, it's almost like re-enrolling. You have to go through and validate all of your information, just like, you know, banking information and making sure it's completely accurate. And it's even more complicated because it has to follow the claims flow process from end to end. And if your claims provider, where we're using, uses multiple claims houses, sometimes they hand them off to third parties, it really has to follow this lengthy spiraled path in order to make sure exactly to get back there. Um, and it has to be validated. So there's just a bunch of different steps that go on that most people wouldn't even think about candidly in order to be in business together. And But the platform, a system can enable all of that. So giving back to why your provider, you can put your information in, maintain it in one place, identify all the insurance companies you're going to work with. And then once that's there, the rules are set up behind the, behind the scenes to enable whatever process is being conducted. And then the, the person who's doing it on behalf of the physician group can literally go in and just check the boxes of who we're sending stuff to for what and hit send. And then the system starts to do it. Then you're just responding to any requests that may come back or any information flow between the two sides until it's ready for electronic signature. Um, so that's really the process that goes on. Yeah. So to kind of synthesize and, you know, hopefully can, you know, accurately condense what you're saying, you know, you kind of refer to the process as, you know, probably kindly old fashioned, uh, which I take to be somewhat of a uh, different way of saying highly manual and very labor intensive Correct. because it's, you know, people are doing it piecemeal. But I think then your point was you, there are technology solutions that you can leverage to drive a lot of consistency and more ready availability of the data along with potentially some automations that just, you know, streamline a lot of those multi-step processes. Because I think, as you said, it's, you know, when you have so many multi-layered complex processes, it's very easy to unintentionally make one misstep that sends you right back to the start um, each time because you're not you're not really iterating. It's you know the the recipient wants to get a complete completely accurate package up front and not have to just wait on an update. Correct, hundred um, percent. And. The amount of time that it requires to fill out those forms or put that data in and do it over and over again, it's just natural human nature. People are going to make mistakes, something's going to send sent erroneously, et cetera. Um, you know, again, many times they, they put the wrong attachment in or the, an old attachment. Next thing you know, they thought they were all set and someone calls up and says, you're, you know, you're out of compliance and need to redo it. Uh, and it has a real effect on the provider organization because if you are you know you're going through your own process and it's effective for this year or next year whatever the the term is and then the payer will say okay you need to re-enroll they need to revalidate your information all stuff and you miss the window and you don't re-enroll now you're out of compliance now if a patient comes to your office who's expecting to um you know for that insurance company and for care um and you're not in actually actively enrolled um, they could be on the hook for all of those charges. Um, often they'll work to get them re-backdated, the physician, get them up to date, re-enrolled. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, but there is there is some real uh, implications there financially. Not to mention that if, for every day a provider um, is not enrolled or in compliance or waiting to be enrolled to see patients because they're waiting. You know, maybe it's three months, four months, et cetera. 
on average, a, um, a provider group loses about $10,000 a day in charges, right? So that adds up pretty quick until they can see a patient. So there's some real, real implications for both sides. Yeah, no, I think a very important point, as you said, to pay attention to the process and make sure that you're being proactive about it. Uh, but Eric, believe it or not, we're already out of time. So I think that's a great final takeaway for everyone of why it's so important to pay attention to these processes. Um, but I want to thank my guest, Eric Demers, for a great conversation today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HCDEJURE. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.